Okay, everyone, we're jumping in. All right, we're going to do this. So, uh, feel free. It's going to be ambiance. Lots of ambiance. We yeah, got. We like, we like the ambiance. We can make it work. We got the music that is going to be completely illegal to be in the background of this podcast, but we'll we'll make it work. We'll get DMA'd and it'll get taken down, but at least someone's going to hear it for a couple days before we have that good lawyers. happens. Yeah, yeah. You so, have a good lawyer. I have. I do. Yeah. Really good. Um, I'm Q. I'm Jewish Dave. This is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. So we're at the live show that we've been hyping up for a little while now. We're here in Vegas. Uh, about how many days out from caucus, Dave? I, I don't do math very well. I think it's five, six, five. five. Wow, I guessed it right on the first time. <laughs> nice. I, I'm, I'm all right at math sometimes. We're, clo- we're, we're slowly absorbing the Yang Gang into the, you know, the, 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 the folks with the predilection for better math. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we're here in Vegas. We are at the Golden Tiki. Um, when I say thank you to Brandon Powers and the team here. Yeah, this is such a cool place, and uh, we usually come and hang out here every time you're in town, and so it's good to get to actually do a show here. It's, it's good awesome. to not be losing money on the blackjack. <laughs> yeah, that'll, um, that'll be later. Yeah, give me a little bit of time. Uh, if you need a drink, for those that are alive, if you're listening to this on the podcast, then, I don't know, go to 7-Eleven and get a drink. But yeah. if you're here right now live and you need a drink, pop your head out. Um, I think happy hour is over, or is it still going on? Dave? Happy hour ended as soon as we hit record. Awesome. So tip your uh, bartenders. Um, I want to give much love and thank you for members of the uh, of the Las Vegas DSA that showed up. Woo! Yeah! And remind everybody, if you're here in Nevada, you should do like what I'm doing tomorrow, which is show up at 2934 Natalie Avenue at the garage and canvas. Go out, knock on doors. It's actually a lot easier than it seems. It can seem a little intimidating, but it's actually fun after you do the first few. So um, again, I think every day in between now and caucus, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., I was just talking with Kara. She said that uh, sometimes they don't get great turnout on the later shifts. So if you want, come make a difference when people are actually getting home from work. Uh, I guess the 5 p.m. shift would be the latest latest release. So uh, yeah, make sure to do that and uh, much love to our our comrades here in, uh, in in Las Vegas. All Points rest, West is also very well represented here today. Dave, who do we have in the audience behind us? So sitting uh, directly behind us, for those of you here in the room, uh, we've got Jason Harris, who's going to be joining us in a little bit. Uh, he's got a podcast with his friend Josh Bell that I produce. It's called Awesome Movie Year. And then we also have Stephanie Barajas from All Rice, No Beans and from Lindo Michoacan. So uh, we're very happy to have them with us. And those are two of the other shows you could check out on our network, uh, along with my Piecing It Together podcast. And my last call out is over there in the corner, Gina Mazzoni, Gina Mazzoni Photographer, Photography. She is our photographer. She's kind enough to come at, to all of our events and um, try to make us not look as, as terrible, I guess. She's really good at it. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, what's the concept of the show? Uh, we are going to be talking about how uh, all presidents are terrible. So we're in this weird, interesting time right now where we have a front runner for a major party in the United States who, unlike almost anybody before him, doesn't seem to be really compromised, doesn't seem to be generally evil, or have uh, a lot of the baggage that most people in that position end up, um, who end up occupying the office have. And we thought, it being President's Day, what does that mean? Because this office, the presidency, is almost intrinsically corrupting. Your first day that you're president, you're called on to do horrible things that most people should never have to do. 
So we wanted to explore that a little bit, but we also wanted to use it as an opportunity to uh, talk to some voices here in Las Vegas, uh, some friends of ours who we've talked to before, and that's pretty much what we're going to do. And uh, we want to kick it off with our, our first guest tonight. Dave, who's our first guest? Well, our first Give guest. Give him, like, really build him up. Come on. Our first guest uh, is a it guy. It doesn't mean just be louder. Like, be more verbose. <sighs> well, so does that mean I don't have to be louder? You know what? You're fucking this up. Okay, sorry. Now, our first guest, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, those of you who were at the Kickoff to Caucus event a couple days ago saw him do a, a set during the event, and he's a comedian here around town. Like I said, he also hosts a podcast. Uh, awesome movie year, and his name is Jason Harris, and he'll be joining us right now. Woo! Yeah. Welcome, Third Mike. Bigger applause than I got at the kickoff the other <laughs> night. <laughs> Thank you for showing up, seven of you in caring. <laughs> How, uh, wow, what a loaded question. How did it go? How did it go, Dave? I, I, I can't answer that for you. Uh, I posted now. about it today. I was, uh, so every as shockingly, the Democrats didn't stick to their schedule and uh, do what they said they were going to do, which was crazy. That's so different than, okay, I get it, guys. We're not going to have senses of humor about ourselves today. Uh, um, I was supposed to go on before all the politicians, right? And what happened was Dina Titus just stormed the stage and was like, I'm speaking now, right? And then Steve Sisolak was backstage and he's like, yo, if she's speaking, I'm speaking, right? So then... They were like, do you want to go tell jokes? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? They just had two political speeches. Like, what am I going to do like, after that? Hey, uh, talking about the state of Nevada, anyone have any bad airline food recently? You know what I mean? But it was it just wouldn't have made sense. So I said, let's, let's just keep going. They're all here to see the candidates. Let's do that, right? So we ran through the next, you know, the six candidates. And that was great. We kept the energy in the room. It was good. And then <laughs> they're like, go tell jokes. I'm like, cool, go tell jokes now with 680 go people walking monkey. out of the room, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was it's what comedians call a hell spot, you yeah. know? And I, I don't care. It's, it was a horrible spot, horrible gig in that regard. But I had fun, and um, and maybe some of the Clark County higher-ups did not. So. Well, you know what? Anybody that didn't get to hear you, that's their loss, man. It's on C-SPAN. It's, on, it's still yeah. running on us. That means it's part of the public record forever. I had 15 hot minutes, and I think had they let me do them, they would have kicked me out of the caucus kickoff, and that would have been, <laughs> that's what should have happened. So everything, have everything worked my, out then. No, I think I should have earned my, my stripes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I really feel like, I mean, they, when, well, G Wait, we have an unexpected guest. <laughs> I was like, was that, like, that was a sassy pirate. Or <laughs> it was a real sassy like pirate. Well, Very suggestive. Our, our third uh, guest on the show tonight. So, so. Gina recommended me, and they were like, they when they called me, I was like, I really don't think you guys want to hire me, <laughs> you know. Like, but, <laughs> but they, they said they, they said they want. They said the Democrats want to have better sense of humor about themselves, which, for the most part, I think people did. And yeah. Then, um, it's funny because like all the candidates were dope. Like Joe Biden's like, we're gonna get in touch. You're gonna write jokes for us, you know. And I was like, and then he took my info. It was cool, but like, um, so that was all great. And then all the people on the ground level, like you had mentioned, Kara, who I know from way back, they were super accommodating and really helpful. And everyone in the audience was very complimentary. So it was just some of the actual people in charge of the Clark County area on the local slash state level who were. Uh, you know, maybe time to get some new blood in there. Well, so. I, I got to give you credit for something you don't hear that often from a comedian, which is like the uh, the setting expectations. Maybe I'm just not the right person for this. Nobody can 
blame you if you get up and uh, skewer. And yet they did. And yet they did. I'll I'll tell you guys the joke if you want to hear that I got in trouble for. You guys want to hear the joke that was too dangerous for? Okay. You were there. He was there. Yeah. It was a damn good joke. I had... I was doing this whole bit about the dinner, right? And the, the, the so what started off was like, you guys enjoy your dinner. And I go, well, unfortunately for me and the candidates, um, we did not get a meal tonight because we ordered our dinner through the Shadow app. You know, and then, it, and then like, it, it keeps built, right? And, and already, thank you, see? This is the right audience. This is what should be happening. And like the whole thing was gonna build and build. And I go, so then I, so I say that, right? And then I go, um, you know, we expect our entrees to be here in two to three weeks, but they might not actually be what we wanted, you know? <laughs> and then it keeps going. It was like I saw, uh, I go, uh, Mayor Pete, surprisingly, even though he hasn't tasted any of the food, has already declared the pasta the best entree of the night, you know? <laughs> so it's build, 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 right? Yeah. yeah so so the next part was, I go, I go, I saw Vice President Biden backstage, and he goes, Where's cornbread and chocolate pudding? I go, is that what you want to eat tonight, Mr. Vice President? He goes, no, those are my two best friends from high school. Cornbread and chocolate pudding. Where are they? (laughs) Yeah. So then, so I had all that, but when I had first started... And I did the shadow app. Someone yelled out too soon, like as if we can't too even soon. Like, <laughs> acknowledge that. So that then I went to, offensive. so what I did was like, all right, you want to play that? Let's go to the big heavy punchline, right? So what happened? So the last part of it goes like this. I go, um, there actually was a meal here for Bernie Sanders tonight, but unfortunately, Debbie Wasserman Schultz stole it and gave it to Hillary Clinton instead. Ah. No claps for that in the audience, I noticed. <laughs> but, like, really, let's let's own that. And, like, you know, and that's what I got in trouble for. And, uh, you know, you shouldn't have made that joke. We're past that as a party. It's like, are we? Because you're yelling at me right now for telling the joke, you know. <laughs> well, this is a friendlier environment, Jason. Obviously, this is the kind of place where we uh, welcome transgression. We like it. And uh, we love you, and that's why you we, know, love you know. so we love me. So stick around a little bit because we have some guests coming up that we want to um, have you help Is us. Is it a Cincinnati a Bengals shirt you're wearing? No, or just the clearly tiger? you're not a Nicolas Cage fan. So, uh, uh, I don't know it either. Yeah. You don't know this? No. Oh, that's Who knows? Mandy. Who kn- oh, sorry. Thank you for. Oh, Mandy. Yeah. 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 We had yeah, a little crowd of opportunity for nice, audience interaction nice and engagement, and you shat all over it. Nice work. <sighs> um, so Jason's here. He's going to help us talk to a few uh, folks that we um, that we lined up and uh, have some conversations. We only have the room until eight, so we're going to do a lift and shift right at eight o'clock and scoot out of here. Uh, so without any further ado, I want to jump into uh, our interview with our first official guest because I don't consider Jason as an official guest. He's more of our third mic. Um, he's family. <laughs> so he's a he's actually a Bird Road two timer. The next person who's coming up right now is a Bird Road two-timer as well. Um, I think everybody here knows who she is, and she needs very little, uh, thanks to Netflix now, she needs very little introduction. A uh, round of applause for Amy Valella, everyone. They love I like her. It. I like it. They love her. They love them some Amy. <laughs> I love them too. All right. First question. Worst president of your lifetime, and why? Oh, of my lifetime would have to be Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump, to me, has... A popular answer. <laughs> well, maybe it's a little different reason why. To me, you know, the, the issue really isn't Trump and himself, as he's just a symptom of the problem. But what I've seen with Trump, though, has been the, uh, the, the actual permission now 
to say things that and to actually move our country in a way that is very, very detrimental. And the number one thing with Trump I have a problem with is his racism. And, you know, yeah. this hasn't this didn't start with Trump. It surely had just not started with Trump. But and, and in some ways, you could argue that it actually has helped bring to the forefront things that have been under underlying. But it also is promoting it and increasing the, the, the feeling that it's OK. It's emboldening. In a it's lot emboldening of yeah. them. Yes. Right. Um, and so in, in, in my particular life, you know, um, circumstances and my experiences, um, that is very detrimental. Uh, your particular life and your circumstances are one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on this episode. I think that when we talk about, you know, this office of the presidency and what it actually means and uh, how sometimes it can appear benign or maybe it, uh, especially when you have a Congress like we have right now, it appears unproductive. But it's it's that's not the case for real people. There are consequences. We talk about this president's bad, this president's good, this president did less harm, this president did more. But the policies that they pursue or choose not to pursue have real life effects. And so for those of our listeners who haven't heard your story, I thought maybe you could share it with them. Right. Well, this kind of goes into your first question. I think um, maybe a more pertinent question for our time period was when was the last time we had a president that was decent? Yeah, <laughs> mm, that's a good question. You know, that probably is a more pertinent question. Um, you know, what we have, have seen, and it's not just with Trump, we have seen time and time again. <laughs> we, have a, we have an unannounced guest. Yes. <laughs> Hang on one sec. So, you know, we have seen time and time again throughout history, presidents, and it doesn't matter which party they're with, are not been fighters of the people. Yeah. And it has been progressively worsening as time goes on. And, you know, as Americans, I think many times we've gotten our ears tickled to where we're wanting to hear those good things. We want to feel like we're doing something because we went out there to a protest. And you know what? Our work's done. Right. But what's really happened is that, you know, all of these... All of these policies and all these things that have happened have happened at a very slow pace, but they have real consequences. And for me, you know, that really, uh, that really hit home um, in 2015. So I remember all of us can remember the first time that we heard that Bernie was running for president in 2015. And I remember my husband running through the house saying, Bernie's running, Bernie's running. And I was like, who in the hell is Bernie? <laughs> right? Um, but a month later... You know, I experienced the tragedy that tens of thousands of Americans experience every year. And uh, my daughter, Shalyn, she was 22 years of age. She was the school to become a nurse. She was working two jobs as a CNA, fiercely independent, yeah. fiercely funny, and really looking forward to her life. She drove from Kansas City to Las Vegas to start schooling. And I remember when she arrived, she looked and said, Mom, you know, look at my leg. My leg, it's really starting to turn red and it's starting to swell. And I remember telling Shalyn, you know, Shalyn, you know, maybe you just sound it wrong. Just give it a couple days. And I was, I was on the way out to a business meeting. At that time, I was a CFO. So as she was coming in, I was leaving. And, and I got another call. And she's, this time, she's, like, she's at the receptionist desk. She's like, Mom, they're asking about insurance. And they're telling me it's going to be really expensive that I could leave now and it won't cost me anything. But something's really wrong with my leg. I'm like, Shalyn, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. Just be seen. I was very surprised to get another phone call from her. But this time, Shalyn's voice had changed. Shalyn was crying, and she was telling me, Mom, they're not helping me. They told me that I need to go get insurance and see a specialist. They're not a doctor's office. 
And, you know, what they didn't do for Shalin was because out of greed. It's what's called a wallet biopsy. They did the bare minimum that they thought they needed to do in order to cover, cover themselves for Mtala. They basically sent my daughter to her death. You know, my daughter was black. She had sickle cell trait. She had just driven 22 hours on an injured knee that was, that was recovering. And she was on birth control. And her leg was red and swollen. These are all risk factors and symptoms of a blood clot. Something that's totally, totally treatable that would cost less than $1,000. We're talking about a bedside ultrasound in order to discover what was wrong with her leg. Shalin had to go back to Kansas City. She had to finalize some paperwork to begin her schooling. And I will never forget the call that I got from her father. And I can hear desperation. He's like, Amy, Amy, Shalin, she's coding, she's coding. I remember thinking, what are you talking about, Shalin's coding? She's 22, and I remember looking at my husband saying, should I go? Like, my daughter's only 22, it surely can't be anything serious. My sister was an RN in that, that, that hospital, and I called her up on the, way to the, on the way to the airport. She's like, Amy, you know, tell me what's going on. I'm like, she's coding, Ellie, what, what do you mean, Amy? I'm like, Amy, has anything been going on? Has she, has she been, you know, has anything happened? I'm like, well, she was in the emergency room, you know, her leg was a little swollen. She immediately dropped, dropped me, called the hospital, was like, you know, blood clot, pulmonary embolism. Uh, you know, when I arrived in Kansas City, I'll never forget that image either of my once funny, loving and full of life daughter intubated. And her eyes would flutter open every once in a while and I would just sit there holding her hand saying, please, Shalin, please fight. Please fight, Shalin, don't die. And I started to put together the whole circumstance of what had happened. My sister Ellie and RN was putting it together and by the time it came time to uh, make a decision to turn off the life support because she was brain dead and her organs were not, her major organs were not salvageable for organ donation. Um, you know, I climbed into bed with Shalin and they told me, Amy, you need to leave. It's gonna be really hard. We're gonna take out the, the life support. Um, and it, it's not a nice thing to see. And I said, absolutely not. Um, and I remember holding her hand and saying, Shalin, Mom is right here. I'm right here, Shalin, and I will not leave your side. I'm right here. And then I climbed into bed with her, and I held my daughter as she took her last breath. And as she was dying, I was whispering to her, I love you so, so, so very much, and you will not have died in vain. That is the ugly truth of our for-profit healthcare system. And I remember going home and I didn't even want to live. I didn't want to live. I, I couldn't understand what country I was living in. I couldn't understand how this could happen in this wealthy nation. And I started doing research. My husband's an immigrant from Brazil and he's telling me about this thing called universal healthcare. Yeah. And I'm like, I, you know, this is just when Bernie was beginning to, to announce, you know, introduce us to all of these ideas that were foreign to us as Americans, right? right? Yeah. And I started researching. And I started looking into it and I'm, I'm like putting it together in my head as a CFO and knowing what happens with businesses. And I'm starting to see that my daughter, she was not a tragedy. My daughter is one of tens of thousands every year. Right. And I remember when I read that I fell to my knees and I thought, no, how is this happening? And where is the outrage? 
I'm filled with rage at what this is happening in this country. Why is not every other American taking to the streets just on healthcare alone? And then I ran across a video of Bernie Sanders. In 1993, the year Shalin was born, fighting for my daughter, fighting for someone he didn't know, fighting when it wasn't popular, fighting when they were calling him crazy and talking about the need for universal health care, how we're the only developed nation that doesn't have this. And I thought, oh my God, this man is consistent and he's doing it when it isn't popular, when it's not the good thing to do in politics, when it's costing him political capital yeah. and he has the receipts and the consistency to back it. And I knew at that moment, I knew that I had to go down a different path. And then I met Nina Turner. And I met Nina Turner at a, at a Medicare for All convention. She was the first person that I heard say my daughter's name and the next thing came out of her mouth and was this great country. No 22-year-old should be dying from a lack of health care. That was the beginning and, and that was the radicalization of Amy Valella. So that was a start and two years ago you came and shared this story with us um, on the, one of the last live shows that we did in Vegas. A lot has changed for you. Like, Can you tell us like what has happened during the last year? Um, and how you've been able to sort of amplify and get this message in front of more people than our little podcast could probably ever get <laughs> get you in front of. Uh, what's it been like? It must have been a wild ride so far. It's been wild. And, you know, we always talk about everyone having a voice. And I think that my story really exemplifies that because... You know, I, w I wasn't anyone special. I had not been trained to be an organizer. I wasn't trained to be an activist. You know, I was somebody who had grown up poor and I didn't think my voice mattered. I wasn't right from the right pedigree, right? Where do I have a place in, in, in politics? And I remember, you know, um, actually some DSA members coming up and saying, Amy, you need to run. And I was like, you're nuts. You're nuts. <laughs> They're going to find out I've been on welfare. They're going to find out that I've been homeless, that I've been, you know, on WIC and Medicaid and, and I've, you know, all these struggles. I'm not the right pedigree. Yeah. How, how do you want me to do that? And, and I was scared to death. I knew that my life was going to change and I knew that I would change forever who I was, who I thought I was, right? I knew I would, I would change even in my career. And so I went down this road. Um, I had was first of all I was primarying um, Reuben Kewin. Yeah. Uh, Mother's Day, I went to tell him about the story of Shalin uh, holding her hair in my hand. And after I got done telling the story, he was like, you know, Amy, um, I heard your story, but we're busy, we're fighting, you know, all these other fights, and and you know, I didn't have to be here today. Come out and join my weekend. Yeah. And that was the turning point. And so I went down the wild ride of. You know, actually going against a well-loved congressman. Um, eventually, uh, Ruben um, did not decide not to run again. And um, in came the influx. That was a real eye-opener. I knew that this stuff was happening at some level, right? We all know and we hear the stories of corruption and, yeah. and all of this backroom deals and things. And all of a sudden, it was like, boom. Now they're flying and people don't even live here, Horsford, from... From, you know, Washington, D.C., who's a lobbyist. Yeah. Now they're bringing in, uh, now all these people are joining. It's that saying, that feeling of, of powerful forces aligning against you. Like, or, yes, or, yeah, I you know. felt it from yeah. the beginning. Um, and it was hard. I mean, here I am. You know, for everyone else hearing the story, it's a story. For me, when I talk about Shalin, I remember the smells of the, the, way, the, the emergency room. 
I remember the feel of my daughter lying in my arms. I remember the absolute pain and unimaginable agony and the feeling of, at the same time, immense indignation, moral indignation of watching my child die and feeling like I can't do anything. And to sit in debates and hear my opponent come up after me telling that story and say, I know how you feel. I lost my grandma when I was 18. So I will fight for health care, but not Medicare for all. That was so hard. Um, And then came in the outside money. And then came in all the money, right? That's the next thing. That's it. They were scared of Amy Valella. <laughs> I, I, I think it's funny because you brought up like what the atmosphere was like four years ago, five years ago, the lack of outrage and people in the street. And I mean, to credit of pretty much a lot of the people in this room, like it's not like that anymore. No. And the idea of somebody being able to pull these little verbal games of saying like, I'm going to fight for all everyone's access to healthcare, playing games with words where they can double back later right. and not support comprehensive legislation it doesn't work anymore and i gotta say it's thanks to people like you it's thanks to a lot of the people in this room that have you know you you say in 2015 you weren't even aware of the fact i think a lot of us a lot of people weren't aware of the fact that most of the the civilized world right has a universal health care program of some kind and that we are the exception and that people like shalin are the ones who pay the price for it 50 60 000 people a year exactly and I, i mean you're talking to people every day. Do you feel like the general population is more educated about this than five years ago? Yes. And, you know, that's due to, um, you know, the political awakening we've had and largely due to, you know, Bernie Sanders having the actual, um, you know, he had the actual gumption and balls. Yes, thank you. To actually balls go out is, there. Balls is the word from the crowd. and I It think- is. It is the word from the crowd. Um to, to do the right thing and to actually start being bold enough to go out there and say these things. You know, and I, what surprised me when, when we, you know, we get into like the whole part where we start filming, right? Yeah. The background piece. Um, so I'll back up a minute, that whole process there. Yeah. When Rachel Lears, the, the director, came to me and said, Amy, we're, we want to film you. I'm like, why? <laughs> no one's going to watch this. Everyone hates us. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta uh, uh, unpack a little bit for anybody who's listening might not know, but you can see Amy right now on Netflix. We've alluded to this already a couple times, but "Knock Down the House" award-winning documentary from 2019 that uh, uh, that outlined the uh, that 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 followed the um, the campaigns of yourself of audience member uh, Corey Bush Corey over Bush. here. Um, Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez and others. Uh, so watch that if you haven't watched it. If you're listening to my show, you probably have. But just for a little bit of... I mean, like, were you aware that this... I mean, you were obviously aware there were cameras in your face, but did you know that they were going to turn it into what they turned it into? You know, a lot of the things when I first watched it, I didn't even remember her... I didn't even realize she was videotaping it, right? Because we that's, that's the whole point of a documentary is that they don't get involved or interact rarely because they want to capture in its truest form none of that was rehearsed you know there wasn't a retake this was what was happening in the moment and you know all of us when we were running coming I mean, Corey bush anthony clark paula jean aoc all of us we were running in 2018 and in the largest really uprising of people of insurgent candidates 
that we've seen, right, all spurred on by Bernie Sanders, um, we were running and we were scared and we really didn't know what was going to come out of this. And we saw the powers. We saw what was happening. We saw what was happening in our own personal lives. None of us knew what this, what the outcomes were going to be. Um, and when we saw the original, I know for me, when I saw the, the, the draft, yeah. I remember thinking some parts I was like, you absolutely cannot include that. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you lost your mind? Um, what was especially hard for me was, 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 the vulnerability that it took to be actually in the movie, yeah. um, especially as a woman running um, and the part where they capture my loss. Yeah. Um, you know, that day I was holding Shalin Zern and when I saw the results come in, it d- didn't get into the film, but the first thing out of my mouth, I, I dropped down and I was like, no, now more people are going to die. And I couldn't save them like I couldn't save Shalin. Mm. The weight of my community was on me and I had to go home that night and really think about it. What was I worried about that being shown for him? First of all, I want to change the perception that showing emotion made you weak. Yeah. I'd like to counter argue that showing emotion shows that you care enough to actually care about your community. I'd like to see more of our representatives give a crap. I'd like to see them care about the community. Um, and then so it was things like that that was like, that was uncomfortable. I think um, probably Corey can attest to some of that. Like some of the things when we first see it, um, I know when Corey and I are watching it together, um, we're not able to get through the movie watching it a lot because it's very emotional. It's reliving that whole that whole moment for us again. Um, but I think overall, we might have lost some elections, but we won the conversation across the United States. Well, Amy, we're going to ask you to stick around. If yes. you can kind of move over here a little bit, actually, we're going to bring up our... Uh, our, our next guest and our next guest is somebody who's sort of in line with a lot of the way that we book our show and a lot of the voices that we try to elevate younger voices voices of people who are taking on entrenched powers um people who are uh who are not afraid to you know try to fight and may uh you know make a difference even though they aren't from again you talked about like the traditional pedigree that you know the washington dc you know uh, uh route that everybody kind of takes we like to talk to people that don't necessarily fit that mold. So, everybody, welcome Anthony Thomas Jr. Anthony. So, Anthony right now is uh, running against, when you talk about entrenched power in this state, uh, he's running a progressive campaign against Dina Titus in Congressional District 1 uh, here in Nevada. Why did you choose to do this? Tell us. You know, when I first moved to Nevada, and when I was 18, Look, try to- when I first moved here, when I was 18, um, you know, I was homeless. And it was hard for me because I had to escape violence where I was from. And um, You're I'm, from New Jersey, I'm right? I'm yeah. from New Jersey, yep. And when I came here, my brother's like, hey, you know, you can stay with me. You know, I live at UNLV dorms. You know, you can stay under my little dorm bed if you want to. You know, it's like, <laughs> if you know anything about UNLV dorms, it has like a three foot of like space where you like, you know, you can sleep under the... the it was the same yeah, way so in thir- third floor Williams. Yep. Yeah. I was, well, we were Williams 501. Okay. So, you know, we had a pretty nice dorm. And, you know, I lived there and the community came together and it, uh, UNLV showed me that, you know, we care. You know, like there, there's problems and there's situations out that, are, that we're going through, like unaffordable health care, like Amy talked about, like 
uh, low wages and rising rent that's seriously affecting communities of color, communities that are out there working super hard. It's affecting the single moms, the single dads that are out there, and they're trying to, you know, pay their rent when the rent's going up 7% every year, every other year, you know. And, and we need representatives who lived in those uh, shoes and those footsteps to, to fight and, and, and to, you know, be a voice to, to the unheard. Or the or the people who you know don't feel like their voice matters. The marginalized, people yeah, the marginalized, who, like, don't exactly. Get to, you know, yeah, exactly. I think that in these conversations, um, what gets lost is the practicalities and the realities of being in poverty, of existing in poverty, yeah, and how expensive it is to be poor. Like, talk about that a little bit. I know you had you had mentioned that uh, just trying to you know start your own business and just kind of get yourself modestly off the ground on an $8 an hour wage mm -hmm. and uh, and in, in, a, in a city where rent is exploding just like it is all over the country, Miami, uh, like all over the place. Talk about how expensive it is to be poor and how that sort of contributes to the marginalization. Yeah, um, it's, it's really expensive to be poor out here. It's like, for me personally, I don't have a car. You know, um, I have to walk everywhere. I'm a, I'm a, I work full time as security guard. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll get like, you know, 15 hours a day or, or eight hours a day and I have to work, you know, halfway across the city because I don't have enough money to get on the bus. I don't have that two dollars and 50 cents to get on the bus um, to get back and, you know, back and forth. And it's, it's very difficult. So, you know, when I when I use my disadvantages to my advantages when, I, when I'm doing this campaign is because I, I feel like. I can reach more voters, you know, when I'm on the bus and they can see, you know, someone who's who's actually living in their same shoes, getting so on the bus. So you're talking and, to people when yeah, you're out there. Exactly. Yeah. Every single day, you know, when I'm walking, I'm going to McDonald's to pick up food for the house, you know, because I can't go to Walmart. I don't have six dollars for a bag of meat. So I got to get, you know, a dollar McChicken. I, you know, I talk to, you know, homeless community that's sitting around, you know, VNLM. No, hey, you know, I care about you. You know, I was once in your shoes. You know, I, God, God blessed me and he gave me two or three little minimum wage jobs to where I can afford a six hundred fifty dollar rent. You know, and like, I'm so fortunate that like, you know, the community is looking back and like, hey, like, you know, we respect what you're doing, you know, keep on fighting and keep on pushing. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a true champion for, for, you know, people's rights and people's policies. Dave, he's a little younger, so you have fewer presidents to pick from. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but what, what is the, um, who was the worst president of your lifetime and why? You only have a I few would, presidents. Yeah, I would definitely say I would definitely say Trump. Um, when I was in New Jersey, I think Jersey, we have a consensus. Yeah, well, yeah, Trump. Like when I when when I was in New Jersey, I had um, four God sisters who I was really close with, um, and they were adopted from Mexico. And um, you know, when I learned about their story, and I learned you know about all the terrible things that happened down there, you know, with gang cartels and you know like violence, you know, against women and and like. It's, it's terrible. So when they came here, you know, they said, you know, we're so grateful. We're so thankful to be here. And um, to have a president who's sitting up there and actively uh, metering how many immigrants can come into the United States, you know, that's a, that's a slap in the face to us. You know, our country was built on immigration. It was built on, you know, people from coming all over the world and, you know, building a great country. You know, he, he's trying to divide us. But when we're together, we are no longer the minority. We become the majority, you know. So that, that's why I'm running and, and letting people know, like, hey, we're, we're stronger together. You know, this president's going to try to break us up, but this is our test. You know, we, we, we're going to pass this test, you know, and, and I'm very honored to be running. Okay. Where can people learn more about your campaign? Where can people? Um, well, Anthony2020.com. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at US underscore ATJ. 
I just reached 600 followers, so yeah, I'm right. super pumped up. I'm super pumped up. And yesterday we reached the $600 mark for our campaign. So every single dollar is coming from hardworking people just like us who, who you know, who understands like it's, it's difficult to get by. And I'm yeah. so proud of that. You know, I never imagined, you know, in October when I decided I wanted to run, I would even raise $100 because I know I couldn't give $2 to a campaign. So when people give to my campaign, it makes me feel so grateful. Well, hopefully enough people uh, help your fi your campaign catch fire to where all those powerful interests start aligning against yeah. you, too. Um, <laughs> so what do we got lined up next, Dave? We have a game, yeah. and both of our interviewees are going to take part in it. Uh, explain what the game is. All right, so uh, the game is called All Presidents Go to Hell, But Why? And so uh, what we're going to do is uh, our I think guests... the, first, the first thing we need to do is get a couple of... Uh... Yeah, well, we... We need to get a few, a couple volunteers. Two volunteers. Two volunteers. Raise your hands. There's one. We got one. And Michael. Michael Weiss. Friend of the show, Michael Weiss. All right, come on up. Welcome our uh, our two participants. Yeah, you guys are going to sit on the wood bench over there in the corner. Steal Jason's mic from him really quick. Introduce yourselves. Hello, I am Dr. Victoria Dooley, and I'm a doctor for Bernie. I'm a national 2020 surrogate for Bernie Sanders. All right. And then uh, a man that on this podcast needs no introduction, but whatever. We'll let him do one anyway. My name is Michael Weiss. I am a, a former candidate for, Nevada, for Nevada's uh, third congressional district. I currently serve as uh, president of the Red Rock Democratic Club, and I am running to be a national delegate for Bernie Sanders in 2020. And Michael is also a hurricane, a Miami hurricane as well. That's right. That is correct. <laughs> so here's, what the, here's the way that the game's going to go down. Anthony, yeah. you're going to be playing for... I'm sorry, what was, what was your name again? Dr. Dooley. Dr. Dooley. You're going to be playing for Dr. Dooley. Okay. Amy, you're playing for Michael. Right. We're going to quiz you guys, okay? okay? We're going to read to you seven different transgressions that line up with the traditional seven deadly sins. Okay? It's about to get heavy in here. And we're going to, and we're going to talk about... or what, 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 Basically, the way that we're going to post a question is, this president did these things... And it's up to you to figure out which one okay. it was. Okay. okay. And uh, do we get to make a call? Bird Road T-shirts. Oh, show them, show them. Stand up, Dave. Model with your sexy, skinny ass now. <laughs> Bird Road Apparel. You'll be winning Bird Road Apparel, guys. The fix is in. Everybody's gonna get Bird Road Apparel. Don't worry. But <laughs> so number one, we're gonna start with Amy. Dave, why don't you read this one? All right, so uh, the first question has to do with... The first sin. What is the first the sin? The first sin, lust. Uh, this president was one of America's horniest, which is saying something. In the summer of 1920, immediately following his acceptance of the Republican Party nomination, this president disclosed his affair with Carrie Fulton Phillips to Republican Party officials, also disclosing that Phillips was in the possession of hundreds of love letters he had written to her, many on Senate stationery. You are outside of my age group here. No, no. Now, now the, the, the trick with this guy is that this scandal is like only like his 10th worst scandal. So, oh, Lord. Yeah. I think I know the answer. Okay. I think he had a similar mustache. <laughs> Did he? He was, on, he was on Boardwalk Empire too. That's another hint. Oh man! All right, you can pass. You want to pass? You want to pass to, to, to yeah, Jason? I want to pass. I'm gonna be nice. <laughs> pass the Jason, come on, Jason. 
I'm playing for all everyone else. You're playing for, playing for the world. Okay, so it's right after World War One, so it's going to be 29, right? So it's going to be, I think it's it's Harding. Yes, that's right, yeah. Warren G. Warren G. Harding. The room is winning so far. America's. Who would have thought the comedian would get that one, right? <laughs> I'm going to do the walk of shame now. <laughs> okay, Anthony, this one goes to you. The next sin is gluttony. This president was America's chonkiest okay. in history. I know this one. Weighing in at 314 pounds, he ate a whole steak for breakfast every morning. Okay. Who is he? I got, I got this one too. Okay, calm down, Jason. Damn. Can we get a hint? It rhymes with... Uh, it rhymes with the word raft. How about this? You don't want to get in a bathtub with him because you... Because you might not get out. That's right. Uh, yeah, you might be subsumed by his uh, corpulent physique. Yeah. Am I allowed uh, to say the answer? Four hundred pounds, like. It arrives with wrath. Was it uh, President Robert Taft? Yes. Robert <laughs> Taft, but yes. Got it. Got it. All right. Actually, there is no President Robert Taft. It will. That is incorrect. <laughs> if we're going by Jeopardy rules. <laughs> if we're going by Jeopardy rules, we need to be doing it in a form of a question too. Um, Dave, why don't you take us to greed? All right, greed. This president, in the wake of one of America's biggest national tragedies, saw opportunities specifically for his family and associates with deep paternal connections to military contractors and private equity backers. This president helped engulf the Middle East in war for nearly 20 years, decimating the region while enriching his circle of friends. That's an unfair question because Dick Cheney was never president. So. <laughs> I actually know this one. We're in my time zone now. Right. <laughs> Who was President Bush? That's Which right. Oh. Which Bush? Which Bush? Could be both. Yeah. It could be both. That, he got it. Yeah. it could be both. It could be both. Yeah, the dad be. was on the Carlisle group. It was like <laughs> running the Carlisle group at the same time that, yeah. The dad set up the pins and the son knocked them down. President right. George yeah. Bush. We'll give it to you. All right. <laughs> Moving on to sloth. It's the sin of sloth. This president has made a name for himself by setting records for golfing outings, vacation days, unscheduled time off, least travel. <laughs> that he's done the least amount of traveling to this point. I, well, I just kind of just gave it away. But to this point in his, uh, in his presidency or administration, the least amount of traveling internationally. And is famous for taking huge chunks of his day devoted to executive time. Can I, can I just say before someone answers how ridiculous it is that everyone in this room knows this immediately? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, but one of you can answer. Trump. That's right. Donald right. Trump. All right, Anthony. <laughs> two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Dave, what's I'm next? I'm glad someone's keeping score. I know. I, I forgot. Thank God, because this is not what you would call a... She's a doctor. That bedside manner is pretty amazing right there. All right, so next up is... It's rap. benign! <laughs> next up is wrath. This president was a slaver, an ethnic cleanser, a tyrant of epic magnitude. His trail of tears and Indian removal were responsible for the deaths and immiseration of countless thousands. Trump's idol. And Donald Trump's idol, that's right. There you go. Yeah. Anyone got Wait, it? Wait, whose turn is it, actually? <laughs> oh, it's Amy's turn. Amy. Amy's turn. I know who it is. I can't think of his name. Hold on. You got this, Amy. I could loan you 20 bucks and you might remember. <laughs> Amy, 
uh, President Jackson. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Amy nailed it. I have trouble remembering all my kids' names. So <laughs> I can tell you stories and tell you what they look like. Can I start describing what he looks like? <laughs> uh, Andrew Jackson, if nothing else, did have some pretty epic hair. Uh, <laughs> on to Envy. After, for this, this president, after losing to the charismatic John F. Kennedy, another of America's horniest presidents, in 1960, this president would go on to be elected twice, but was dogged by numerous scandals, from war management to, most notably, campaign fraud, and was always dogged by unfavorable comparisons to JFK, JFK which uh, many... can't read my own writing. Which many say caused him to grow jealous. So it's a little bit of a reach on the envy part, but I think that there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of, you know, it angst there. The no, 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 no. <laughs> Stop. This is Amy Valella, and I do not approve of Dr. Lily getting. <laughs> Don't be such a dick about it. I, I, feel, I feel like it's either like Reagan or Nixon. Nixon, yes. Nixon. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I guess we're accepting multiple answers. That's okay. <laughs> Um, not my time period. Dave, finish us off with pride. Pride is the last one. This president... Oh, boy. This president uh, brought his famous Hollywood B-list swagger to the White House, and his hubris allowed for numerous key elements of American life to be undermined, including union protections and er erosion of the social safety net. don't have to go any net. further. President Reagan. That's right, President yeah. Ronald Reagan. So everybody, a round of applause for our competitors. Everybody gets shirts. That is our show. Wow, we're actually going to have enough time to break down and not get kicked out of uh, Golden Tiki forever. Um, Dave, uh, what should people do? People should, uh, you know, follow all of our guests on social media. Follow us on social media, you know. And don't There's forget. one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. We got to go out and vote Yo. here in Nevada. There you go. Tomorrow is the last day for early voting, and Saturday is our caucus day. Yep. Get out and vote in Nevada if, if you're, you're Nevada. If you're wondering how to get involved and you're hearing the sound of my voice but you don't know exactly what you should do, get a pen, get a pencil, 2934 Natalie Avenue, uh, the garage, Las Vegas DSA. They're there all day long. They're much respect. So, with that being said, one last round of applause for uh, all of our guests. How about we hear it for Jason Harris, Amy Valella, Anthony Thomas Jr., everybody. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Oh, we weren't, guys, we weren't recording. I'm sorry. <laughs>